This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hang.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is one reality, and it's more wonderful than our most optimistic hopes. Now, at the start of the 21st century, it's finally possible for you and me to begin to understand our one reality and to use what we're learning to wonderfully transform our lives. My name is Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk radio network. Every week at this time, we spend an hour together working to better understand the one glorious reality in which we all live. This show was pre-recorded to be broadcast at this time, so I'm sorry, we won't be taking questions today. But please write down any questions you may have and listen in again next week at this time. I'll be glad to take your questions then. This week, we're going to be talking about something that's dear to almost everybody's heart. It may be the most common kind of question I'm ever asked. Whenever I speak, I get this kind of question repeatedly. All of us have lost to death people dear to us. And what we want to know more than anything else is, are they okay? Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they the same people? Will we see them again one day? Those are the big questions. So receiving signs from the dead and even being able to communicate with the dead is so important to us. So today we're going to talk about signs and communications from the dead, and we're going to be answering three questions that I often get when I speak before groups. The first one is, okay, you tell us they're exactly where we are, so why is it so hard for our loved ones to get through to us? Second, what kinds of signs do the dead routinely give us, and they're giving us signs all the time? What, what are those signs, and why? Why those signs? And third, how does mediumistic communication work? Does it work at all? Are those people just charlatans? How does it work? And how can we make it work better for us? So we have a lot of ground to cover, um, but I think we have enough time in an hour, and I've got stories to tell that I think you'll find are very encouraging and entertaining. Okay. First, why is it so difficult to communicate with the dead? The minds of people who have died exist exactly where we are, exactly, exactly here. Although, of course, we know that terms like location have little or no meaning when we talk about the greater reality in which we live. Still, they're right here. But, of course, the only thing that exists is consciousness energy. That's all that exists. That's what your mind is. That's what your dead loved one's mind is. And their mind is vibrating at a higher frequency than yours. To understand why that makes communication so hard, think of your mind and their mind as two television sets. Okay. We've got our television sets set up right in the room around you. All around you are television signals all the time. If you turn on a TV, you can pick up any one of a hundred channels. 
and they'll all be different, and some of those will be live programs simultaneously. But they're at different frequencies, aren't they? And so they can all be in your little TV together. So we've got these two TVs side by side. One is your mind, one is the mind of your dead loved one, and you're tuned to channel 5, and they're tuned to channel 8 or 9 or any other higher channel. Now think of two live programs on those two TVs side by side. One is your channel 5 newsman, perhaps, and what is your Channel 8 newsman, if you have one? And they are talk, they'd like to talk to one another, and they don't have cell phones. That's the problem. There's no way for them to communicate. They're on different vibrancies, different uh, vibratory levels. The same is exactly true of you and your loved ones. Now, it's a peculiarity of consciousness energy that if you're at a higher level, you easily can perceive people who are vibrating at a lower level. You, you can, their minds are very open to you, but you can't go the other way. You can't perceive minds that are vibrating at a higher frequency, which is a problem because certainly from the time of the very first human being, whoever that was, whenever that was, people were dying and they were realizing that those they'd left behind were in terrible grief, but they couldn't perceive the dead person standing right next to them. I'm right here, I'm here, I'm fine. But, but they, they weren't perceived by their loved ones. And the loved ones were devastated because they had no sense that people had lived on. So for thousands, tens of thousands of years, people who have newly died have been working together to try to come up with ways to communicate with those still alive. And what they wanted to communicate was answers to all the questions you have. Are you, are you alive? Are you okay? Are you the same person? Tell me I'm going to be there too and see you again. Simple, simple answers, and it's taken the dead a long time, but they have come up with ways to do it. It's amazing. Nothing we did. Everything was done by the dead. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how it works. I'll, I'll be frank with you. If you and and I, I work with people who are in deep grief, and they don't believe this is true, but I'm going to be frank with you. If you have left someone that you loved, that person has communicated with you. They've left signs. They've tried. The problem is that because our, and we've talked in other segments and will again about why it is that you and I know this stuff, but most people don't. Our greatest institutions, mainstream religion, especially Christianity and mainstream science, are clueless about these things and frankly don't necessarily want us to know about these things. So you and I have to go it alone. And in going it alone, um, we have to figure out exactly what's going on. Now, the dead have told us what the signs are that they leave for us. And I'm going to go over them just briefly, and then we're going to go on to talk about how we can make it a two-way communication. Finally, I'm going to tell you how one day you and I, from where we'll be then, will be able to talk with our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. One of the first signs you'll get from someone who has died is a materialization. This seems to be something that's fairly easy for the people who have just died to do. I, I, I think it's pretty clear they get help. But you'll be, your aunt or someone you're very, very close to will be dying a half a world away. It could be, doesn't matter where it is. And you'll be lying in bed and dozing and you'll, you'll awaken and you'll see an apparition standing at the end of your bed. It will be your loved one glowing. Usually it's just from the chest up, sometimes waist up. They usually don't bother to show us feet. But there will be so-and-so 
lovely, beautiful, healthy, happy, looking younger often, immediately looking younger, and, and will know that they died and they're fine. That kind of a visitation can happen any time within the first year, but in my experience, it usually happens uh, either immediately after the death or, or within a few days of the death. And it seems to happen when they're on the way to where they're going. Not, it's not, in other words, they didn't come back. Usually they're doing it when they're on their way. If you see that, if, some, if, you, if you see a glowing bust high or waist high vision of the person who has just died, rejoice because that tells us that person is just fine and you're going to see him or her one day. Curiously, most people who've had this kind of visitation aren't afraid. It's, it's not ever scary. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a gift. And thank the person, and, and they'll, they'll basically dematerialize and go on. Closely related to materializations are visitation dreams. These are like dreams in that they happen at night, but there the similarity ends. In a visitation dream, the physics is usually like normal physics. The dream is more vivid. Sometimes there's a story attached. Sometimes there's talking. Almost never do materializations talk. And there, it's, uh, it feels like a normal, a normal um, uh, event. The only difference is the people in it with you are dead, and you know they're dead, and often they look very young. I had one, I've had two. One was with my horse, and he who died at almost 30 was gorgeous in his, when he came back to visit. Um, you know, maybe three and a half years old, four years old, beautiful young horse. And my father, who died at 86, I think he looked about 18. Um, hard to even recognize him. I don't, didn't realize till after I had awakened who it was I had just been with. But the, the way you can tell that something is a, a visitation dream and not just a dream is that it, it doesn't feel like a dream when you awaken. It feels like something that just happened and it doesn't fade like a dream. Um, those two visitations happened years ago and they are as vivid to me as if they had just happened last night. Um, they're rare, but they happen to a lot of people. Um, usually, in my experience, they happen when the, the person who is doing the visitation, the dead person, has something to say to us, and they're trying to, sh just to say it, often um, uh, with symbols, often with signs. Sometimes, though, there's a conversation. I've known of cases where there was a fairly lengthy conversation with a dead person in a visitation dream. Okay, after talking about those two kinds of events that involve dead people. Let's start talking about a big area where, which most people know little about, and that's all the different kinds of signs that the dead give us. Please understand most signs come within the first couple of years. Um, they usually can't happen when we're deep in grief. Um, they can uh, happen as we're getting better. But once the dead know that they have communicated with us, we once we have acknowledged a, a sign, usually pretty soon thereafter, the dead move on. We, we tend to think of them as sitting on a cloud looking down wistfully at where we are, but the opposite is true. They're in what they call the real reality. They have a lot to do. It's a lot more fun there. It's a lot less grief there. And they want to go in and do stuff. And we don't want to hold them back. So once we know that they're okay, uh, we, we should give them our blessing and let them go on. We'll be with them very soon. So let's talk about some of the things that they do. The first thing that people often notice is they mess with electricity. Their energy, just as your mind is energy, their mind is energy, and they can easily mess with electricity. It's extremely common. If someone has died, just died, that you loved, 
um, I would uh, look around at the electricity in your house. I mean, are lights blinking? Is your TV going off and on? Uh, things happening that seem to be unusual. Don't dismiss those things. If they happen, say thank you to the person who has died, and they'll probably start to happen again. If there's time at the end of this show, I'll tell you about um, the most powerful person I've ever known who, uh, when he was alive, uh, most powerful after his death, my brother-in-law, Jerry, who 10 years after he died gave me some fairly spectacular electricity signs. Uh, he and I understand each other. He's dead. He knows I study the dead. So he was giving me a sign, and he almost got himself posthumously divorced. It didn't make my sister very happy, but that's a story that I'll tell either this week or, or before too long. Um, let's, let's focus on your situation. You're sitting, you're watching TV, suddenly the TV goes off. You think there's something wrong with it, then it blinks on again. Oh, must have a loose connection. Uh-uh. That's the kind of thing they do. Jerry had a, a young um, daughter. She wasn't, I don't think, even 20 when he died. And um, he, or early, maybe she was around 20. And he would blink the TV off so much that she would go, Dad, I'm watching that. And eventually he stopped, uh, he stopped messing with it. Another thing that the dead will do is to give us smells. When I was about 14, my beloved grandmother died. And for years afterwards, I was smelling her perfume. She had a very distinctive lilacs and old-fashioned lilacs and Elizabeth Valley's perfume. I didn't know at the time what that was. That was my grandmother letting me know she was okay. Jerry did it to me with cigarette smoke. If you smell something that, is, that you associate with the dead person, say thank you. That's a sign. They're telling you they're okay. We don't know why they choose the things that they do, but I think it's just because they can do these things. They've learned the ways they can affect our reality. They can't do anything spectacular like neon in the sky, but they can do these things, and so they do these things. I'll give you the rest in just a few minutes. We're going to take a little break. This is Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality, and uh, we are on the, clear, the Contact Talk Radio Network, and we're talking about signs from the dead. We'll be right back. eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is cliff notes to 200 years of abundant and consistent afterlife evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com.
Welcome back. I'm Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality Radio, and we're talking today about the kinds of things that the dead do for us to show us that they're still alive. One that nobody can figure out how they do is songs. You get into a car and turn it on, you walk into an elevator, you walk into a store, and the music or the song playing on the radio is this obscure song that you danced to at your uh, wedding uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And your spouse is saying hi. Nobody knows, because every, the world can hear that. That's on a radio uh, station. That's, that's in the air in a store or in, a, in an elevator. Everybody's hearing it. We don't know how they do it. They maybe influence people's minds. I don't know. But there are cases of people, usually the dead will choose one or two things that they like to do for us, and they'll do the same things over and over. And those who like to mess with songs, they'll sometimes have two or three songs, and they'll do it over and over. I know the widow who kept hearing uh, their wedding song, and it freaked her out so much, she asked her spouse, please, to stop it, and he did. But listen for songs. That's not a coincidence. A big one they also do is coins. And again, we don't know how they do this. It may be that the coins are what we call apports. Uh, things that they dematerialize somewhere and then rematerialize here or not. I don't know how they do it. But you're walking along and you see a penny on the sidewalk. That means absolutely nothing. Keep walking. But if you keep noticing pennies, pick them up. And I don't know why they don't do this with dollar bills or $100 bills, but they do it with usually pennies, sometimes quarters, occasionally dimes, uh, uh, or, or nickels, rather, occasionally dimes, usually nothing bigger than that. But pick up the coin, and it may have a date on it, which is the date of a birth, the date of a wedding, some significant date that will mean something to you. Or not. They don't always have the date. But if you start finding a whole bunch of coins, it begins to be not random. You begin to understand that's probably a sign. Say, I think that's a sign. Thank you. Give me more. Sometimes it's a group of of coins. I know of someone who who used to, it was like a quarter and a dime and several pennies. They would find that combination of coins, and it turned out that the number uh, that those coins added up to, the, the, the cents, was equivalent to, to the number of years that people had been married. That was a kind of fancy sign. Not common, but coins are a very common kind of sign, something they apparently can do fairly well. Always say thank you. Pick up the coin. There was another case I heard of where a drawer had been sealed, and it had been sealed because the bureau was stuck in sideways somehow. They, no one had looked in that drawer for many years. When they opened it, I think they were going to give it to Goodwill, they found uh, a coin with a date later than could possibly have been in that drawer, and it was the date of the wedding. Uh, someone someone was, very, was able to materialize a coin inside a closed drawer. Relating to coins are feathers. For some reason, they will... Give us feathers. They'll, they'll, uh, you, you might see a feather uh, of, and sometimes they're the same kinds, sometimes they're all different kinds. But if you see a feather, pick it up, start collecting feathers, and you may find you get more and more of them. Those are signs. Um, again, one means nothing, three or four might start to mean something. Ten in two days means that that person is in fact communicating with you. Flowers, especially if flowers out of season, are another sign. Um, there was a case of a woman who had been very close to her aunt. She had a hillside next to her house, the, the woman who was grieving did. And the aunt uh, loved daisies. There were never daisies on that hill except 
the spring after or early summer after the aunt died, there were nothing but daisies on that hill, just that one season. That was a sign from the dead. And unmistakably so, and the woman realized it was. Birds and small animals are something else that they can do. They can mess with the minds of a squirrel or a bird. Um, when you see a sign like this, that's not your loved one. Uh, they are not a bird. Come back to you as a bird. They're, they're, it's like the, the uh, little creature's very suggestible mind uh, is almost like a controlled toy, and they're, they're controlling the toy and making it do things. Um, all kinds of birds can be signs. Sometimes birds repeatedly flying across your windshield will be signs. Um, a squirrel that comes right up to you and is totally unafraid of you is likely to be a sign. These happened very close to one another in different parts of the country that involved owls. Um, they, there was a gathering in the backyard of someone who had died not long before, and in both cases, in one case in a tree, in one case sitting on a, a porch light, uh, an owl showed up, totally unafraid of people, and sat there the whole time. That wasn't Uncle Fred, but that was an owl that was a sign from Uncle Fred. In both cases, the family knew it, and they were quite tickled by that sign. There's a story of a woman who brought her father back to Long Island from, Cal- from uh, Florida. They lived in Florida, brought him back to be buried beside her mother uh, in, a, in a cemetery in Long Island in the middle of winter. Twice after the burial, she went to visit the grave. Both times, standing on the road beside the grave, was a tall white crane in the middle of winter on Long Island. You never see those there. But if you have ever spent much time in Florida, you know that that kind of bird is common in Florida. That was a sign. They can get very creative. Um, We hope not too creative. They can't be so creative that we miss the sign. But sometimes uh, what they'll do is uh, is really pretty spectacular. Insects can be common signs, not cockroaches, mind you, not uh, not ants. Typically, butterflies and dragonflies. My mother died July 31st of last year, so I'm still in my first year of grieving. And um, I, the day after she died, and for the next week, she gave me a series of signs. Of course, her son-in-law was my brother-in-law, Jerry, and we know Jerry uh, is a very powerful guy where he is, and I'm sure that he engineered these, but I'm grateful to him. I live in Austin. We talked in the first week of August in Austin. It was 100 degrees. We didn't see butterflies. We didn't see dragonflies. But it was either the afternoon or the second afternoon after she died, my backyard was full of butterflies. Thousands of butterflies, all kinds of butterflies flitting around. They attracted birds. I was trying to push away the birds that were, that were. in fact, they got some of the butterflies. They were real butterflies. This was not a vision. I just sat and looked. I knew it was a sign. It was extraordinary. Lasted less than two hours. Um, I wasn't keeping track of the time, but it was like, wow, thank you. That was terrific. I know you're alive, Mom. Thanks. The next afternoon, no butterflies at all. Dragonflies. The same place, the same backyard was full of dragonflies, all sizes and kinds. Spectacular. Again, less than two hours, probably about an hour, an hour and a half. And that was great. So then the next day I went outside and there was absolutely nothing. It was just a hot August afternoon in Austin, Texas. And in front of me, from right to left, flitted two insects, a butterfly and a dragonfly. 
That was a spectacular series of signs. I hope you get something like that. There's no doubt in my mind my mother's just fine. I knew it anyway. But, uh, but thank you, Jerry. That was, that was pretty terrific. I know Mom couldn't have done that by herself. So as you see, there are all kinds of things that the dead can do to communicate with us. They're trying. They're trying to get through to us. They're trying to help us understand they're okay. It's frustrating. Most of them say that people don't watch. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. So please try to pay attention. If you've lost a loved one recently, well, look around. Be aware of the things that they do. The insects, the birds, the small animals, flowers, perhaps pennies, coins, familiar songs on the radio or, or in, a, in a store. Listen and, and keep your eyes open, and I think you'll see that you will get signs like these. And if you say thank you, you'll probably get more. If you don't acknowledge them, you won't get any more because they'll give up. They're, they don't keep trying if it's not working. So all right, let's make it a two-way street. We want to communicate both ways with our dead loved ones. We want to go to a medium. So I can hear your first question. You don't even have to call in and ask it. Are mediums real? The answer is yes. Mediumistic communication is real. Um, a lot of the best evidence we've received from the dead has come through mediums. The problem is that some of the most effective mediums were deep trans mediums, and we have almost none of those nowadays. The kinds of mediums you'll go to to communicate with, with the dead are usually what the British call mental mediums and the Americans call psychic mediums. John Edward is a classic example. And yes, they can be very real. Um, I really recommend you read Gary Schwartz's book, uh, The Afterlife Experiments. It's about 10 years old now, and he's probably the only scientist I know of who's doing this kind of work in a, a, a university setting. He's at the University of Arizona. I actually met him recently. What an extraordinary man. He, um, he tested mediums, double blind, triple blind, as if he were you know, testing rats, whether they could do certain things. And he proved in pretty incontrovertibly that the, the best mediums are real. Um, John Edward was one he tested. I'll say a little more about John Edward in a minute. But others he tested are just as good. The problem with psychic mediums uh, is that what they're doing is mind reading. And mind reading isn't easy. Even though all our minds are exactly the same place, it's very hard for us to distinguish our thoughts from the thoughts of those around us. Or I, I think we have barriers, many of us, to even being aware of other people's thoughts. The way psychic mediums work is this. They have a, uh, a dead medium who works with them, typically called a control, and also psychic, and they read each other's minds. It's really that simple. Um, the, the person who is the control, who's dead, has usually a team of the dead. Almost never do people work for long with the living from the area where the dead are unless they work in teams. Um, they think it's extremely important to get this word this message out. They're still trying after thousands of years and we are still being oblivious so much to so much of what they're doing. But they work together and the, the main person, the control, is someone who becomes well known to the, to the medium who's on this side and uh, they develop symbols, ways that, that uh, they can sort of, sort of shorthand symbols. Usually they don't, the medium doesn't hear, maybe they might hear a name uh, but usually they don't hear words in their heads. Instead, the living medium will look at symbols. White roses might mean I love you. Red roses might mean a wound. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. It's different for every pair of living and dead mediums. The, there will be uh, 
sometimes a letter. Um, if you go to John Edward, he'll say, uh, begins with the letter C. Um, I think it could be, and he'll come up with some of the things it could be because he's trying to listen to what the, the dead person is saying, the dead medium is saying. He'll say, I'm right about the first letter, not sure about the rest. Um, the, sometimes they'll pick up a name. When I was going through testing mediums, and I did this for a while, it was very expensive because I paid, paid for some good ones. Um, one of them I tested was Susan Sanderford who is a delightful person, and she got three names right off the bat. She got Jerry, you know who Jerry is. She also got Oliver, that's my father. Uh, and she got Bertha, my beloved mother-in-law. Uh, now, Oliver and Bertha are not household names. I said, how did you get afterwards when we spoke? I said, how did you get those names? She said, it's easy. I, I got the uh, names of, uh, of people. They happened to be names of people I knew. I got a, I got a flash of a picture of this person's face. And I know his name is Oliver. I said, Oliver. Then after I got the Oliver, um, I, I got a sign that told me that was your father. That's how I got it. And that's a pretty good explanation of how most psychic mediums work. They get better and better and better at it. Um, I've had the privilege of seeing John Edward probably a half dozen times over a 10-year period and watched him develop. Uh, the first time I saw him, he was pretty big. I mean, he was accurate. People were thrilled. It was an enormous stadium. It was some high school, a uh, college rather, a stadium of some sort. It was enclosed. I don't remember exactly where. And um, so about maybe a thousand people were there. And he would say, coming over here, and he would sort of give whatever he was vaguely getting and eventually come up with the, who the right person was. And he would say, uh, uh, someone uh, above you could be a mother vibration. Well, it turns out it was an aunt who was like a mother to this person. It was vague. But good, it was, but it was vague. And I watched him develop his powers over a 10-year, perhaps 10-year period. The most recent time I saw him was a few years ago. He was in a hotel, probably 150 people in the room. I was there with a friend who was bereaved. And um, he was very precise. He knew exactly the person. He knew exactly, uh, you know, the kind of thing that was going on. He no longer talked about mother vibration, but he would say, Something like, uh, you know, your mother uh, passed of a long illness. I think it was cancer. She this, she that. Very specific. Uh, he came to me. I was not there with any kind of bereavement. He came to me and he said, please stand up. And I did. He said, oh, no, I think it's really for your little woman next to you. So I sat down. My friend stood up. And he gave wonderfully detailed information to her about her dead husband. Um, then he blushed across the room. You could see him blush. And he said, I'm not going to say this. I'm going to move on. And he couldn't move on because this is, it's in the nature of what they do that unless they can clear that particular vision, they can't get any more. So he said, I'm going to have to say it. I'm sorry. I'm seeing men with their backs to me. I think they're urinating off a deck. He was quite distressed to have to say that. Um, and it turned out that was the best sign that she could have gotten. Apparently this was something that actually happened uh, as a, at a family something, I don't know, or a, or a sports something. But I don't know. I never thought to ask if that was something that from his own, a vision from his own life, but it probably was. Um, that kind of sign is wonderful. And if, it's if something like that has happened in that medium's life, um, that's something that, that they're able very well to, to pick up. All right, let's, let's talk about um, how you can be most productive in working with a medium. 
But first, maybe it's time for us to sort of just say again, this is Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality Radio on the, the uh, Contact Talk Radio Network. Um, we're talking about how we, we communicate with the dead, and when we come back, um, we're, we're going to talk about how you can use mediums most effectively. We'll be right back. eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. We're back. I'm Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality Radio on the Contact Talk Radio Network, and we're talking about communicating with our dead loved ones. Before we go much farther, though, I just want to make sure you understand. I mean, if I'm energizing you to think, oh, boy, I'm going to start talking, I'm going to do automatic writing. Please don't try that. Automatic writing, it works very well if you are a medium, and if in certain circumstances it works well, but it's very dicey. If you use a Ouija board, or you do automatic writing, you basically send up a beacon for anybody to come and start talking through you. And as we'll talk about in other episodes of this program, there are a lot of nasties around, and you're likely to pick those up. So don't do automatic writing. Don't use a Ouija board. Um, instead, use a medium. Do something that, that works safely. Now, I, was, I used to say don't use a pendulum, which is another way to talk with the dead. Uh, but one of the people that we're going to have, one of the pairs of people we're going to have on before long, will be Carol Morgan and her son Mikey, who died at 20 and is a very advanced being. And they communicate through a, a, a pendulum, in, and it, it's extraordinary what they're able to do. But they're the exception. I think maybe it doesn't work um, uh, for most of us really the way. As, in fact, nobody else in her family can communicate with Mikey the way she can. So, okay, how do you make a, your trip to a medium optimally productive? The first thing you do is you wait a while. Um, the, there, the, the, one of the sad, tragic things about losing someone is that deep grief is an absolute barrier to communication. Negative emotions of all kinds are. Hatred would be too. But grief is a barrier. You're basically 
putting up a wall and there's no way they can get through it. So whatever you do, wait six months and work very hard to process your grief to the point where you're no longer in active pain because then communicating is much easier for them. Typically they'll say, you know, don't do it more often than every six months or so, even if you're using different mediums. Um, I'm not sure why that's true. Um, I actually did probably 10 mediums in a year, excuse me, different kinds of mediums uh, in, in different situations, and that worked really reasonably well. But that's another bit of advice they give you. Let your, your dead know that you are about to go to a medium. Um, a few days ahead, say, I'm going to be going to so-and-so medium and at so-and-so time. Now, yes, they know they can uh, read your mind, and we'll talk about that in another program, you know, whether you should worry about that. But they're, they're very, your, your thoughts are open to consciousness. But it helps if you focus them on what you're about to do. Um, and then just say, please show up. And usually, it may not be the people you want to have show up. Maybe there's someone you want to hear from. Uh, and maybe that person, um, for some reason, can't come or doesn't want to. My father would not communicate for 20 years. Um, and I, I know why. He was always in the background. They would just, the media would describe him. He would never come forward. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. He had kind of a difficult childhood as a result. And he, I think, felt guilty. Uh, when I visited him, I think he's in the, the second to the bottom level of, of the afterlife. I feel bad about that. Finally... About 20 years, almost to the day after he died, my daughter was consulting a medium, and my father came through there and said, will you please tell your mother and your aunt that I'm very sorry. Okay, I'm glad we finally heard from him. I wish he would be a little more forthcoming. But that's the kind, if you, if you know that they're there, and you know that they're, they have a life, just like your life, they're the same people entirely, then you're free to think about things like what you can do to help them feel more comfortable with the life um, that they're that they're living now, and uh, he knows we forgive him. The problem the dead have, and this is something else we'll talk about in a future program. The problem the dead have is it's very hard sometimes to forgive themselves, uh, and we'll talk about how to work on our lives now. So forgiving yourself easier later on will be easier. All right, what's the future of communicating with the dead? Thomas Edison tried to bring the future to us when he was still alive. Um, he tried to create a spirit telephone. This is the, the holy grail, as Gary Schwartz would say, of, uh, of spirit communication. Be able to pick up a phone and talk to someone who has died. They say that Thomas Edison is still working on it from the other side. The problem that the, the teams have is there are very few people with enough scientific knowledge on this side willing to work with them long enough to get these things to happen. Because mainstream science is basically clueless. It's Luddite. It doesn't understand that reality is nothing but consciousness. So therefore, um, they're, still, they're still trying. They have had success. Um, there was a couple in Luxembourg in the 90s who, were able, who created a telephone uh, that actually, and, and they had a team they worked with that was very, very, very strong team on the, on the other side, we would say. Um, and they were able to communicate by phone, talking to someone they had known when he was alive. This person sounded the same. He was able to produce the same voice he had when he was alive. And it was like, ring, ring, hello, oh, hi, there you are. Good to chat with you. What's it like there? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Think of how parents who have lost a child 
would ease their grief if they could just talk to the kid and know the kid was okay. Um, or, or spouses married many years. They can check in every so often. When the dead were asked how they worked with the couple in Luxembourg, uh, they were told they'd built a phone exactly over where the phone was on the table. This was, of course, a hardwired phone. And curiously, by the way, the, it did, the phone appeared not to have been used. There was no uh, record on a bill or anything that that phone had been used at the time. It was in communication with another level of reality. But that's the future. Um, I think it's going to happen within the next few decades, before the end of this century. Um, if you're here then, you'll be able to pick up a phone and call me up. Please call me. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and and that's, that's going to make basically all of the things we speculate now no longer speculative. That's going to make people know that, um, in fact, there is only one reality. That reality is consciousness. And that reality is eternal. Remember, you're an eternal being. Never ever call yourself immortal again because that defines you in terms of mortality. And you don't die. You can't die. It's impossible for your mind to die. You never began. You never will end. And that changes your life completely because you're living it on a much bigger, broader canvas. It gives you many more possibilities than you ever dreamed possible. Uh, it changes life, frankly, from a tragedy to a comedy, and that's that's the most important thing about it um, to me. It certainly has transformed my life, knowing the truth. There was a time I didn't know it. I remember how I felt then, and I know how I feel now. Two minutes. I'm going to tell you about my brother-in-law, Jerry, and what he did to almost get himself divorced. He, after when he had been dead about 10 years, um, and I go frequently to visit my sister in another state. Um, I walked into her kitchen. There was She had a light in this new condo that never would go on. It wouldn't go on. Uh, I came off the plane one, uh, I think it was last April, actually. Um, walked into the kitchen, turned the light on, and that light went on with the others. My sister gasped. We looked at it. We couldn't believe it. Um, okay, that's interesting. Turned it off. Came back. She couldn't make the light turn on. But if I turned it on, the light turned on. And she was kind of outraged. She said, why was, why is she doing it for you? Because we knew it was Jerry. Of course it was Jerry. Why is he doing it for you but not for me, she said. And I said, because you're here all the time. If he did it for you, it wouldn't be a sign. He means the sign for both of us. It continued to happen. I was there for a week. I left. We talked about it in between, but she was clearly put out about it. Um, even though she understood intellectually that it wasn't, he didn't like me better. In point of fact, she wasn't sure that was really true. So what she, uh, what, what happened the next time was that I got there and she's behind me. I could tell the light was brighter when I, after I turned it on, but I didn't even look at the light. She said, I'm not going to talk about it, but that light's on again. Okay. She was not happy. Um, a little later in that visit, I went into the kitchen and there was just a pinpoint of light. In the, there were, these were can lights. I should explain. They're can lights in the ceiling. This is the middle one, and it's right over the stove, so it's kind of an important one. And there was just a pinpoint of light in it, and it slowly went brighter. I thought that was interesting. Um, I stay up later than my sister. I went back into the kitchen for something uh, later in the evening, and, and as I was walking toward the kitchen, I said, you know, Jerry, why don't you, if it's you, make it turn on right and, and not, be, not turn on slowly. So he, I, it did turn on bright. I said, okay. Went back to my desk doing some more work. 
back into the kitchen a little later. I said, okay, Jerry. And by the way, you can say this in your mind. He's, I'm, I, I would say nothing aloud. I'm just talking to him in my mind. I said, Jerry, you know, why don't you this time not have it go on? And it didn't go on. I said, all right, I get that it's you. And you and I know that she's not going to speak to you if you don't stop doing this. So it's okay if you stop it. So the next time I went into the kitchen, it, there was a little pinpoint, and it didn't get brighter. That pinpoint of light gradually faded out, and from then on, he never gave the sign. That's a dead person 10 years after his death, messing with electricity in an unmistakable way, giving me a sign that he is a powerful, eternal being. He is just exactly the same person he was. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the joy of knowing that is worth any amount of effort that I might spend in doing this studying. So how can you prepare yourself as you're working now, as you're living now, how can you prepare yourself to be ready if someone dies? We're all going to face death. It's, it's inevitable. Um, I just lost my mother. And that's another story I'll tell another time. But um, it, was a, it was a situation where she had things happen to her, which I think wouldn't have happened if I were not doing this work. And that makes me feel guilty. But we'll talk about that at a later time when you know a little more about you know, how this all works. But what, if I were you, what I would do is this. Learn the truth. Don't do it because of death. Do it because of life. Do it because it'll change everything. Everything in your life. Every relationship, every attitude, everything about your life will change when you really understand the one reality. And it's a lifelong pursuit. I've been doing this for more than 50 years, and I'm still learning new stuff, and frankly, it's more fun now than it ever was. So the best way to prepare yourself for the problem that eventually people you love are going to die, there's just no way around it, the best way to prepare yourself is to learn. Um, we're going to be, every, every week, we're going to be talking about tiny aspects of what is really an enormous picture. And in that enormous picture, we'll be sort of putting a tapestry together. We'll build it in your mind in such a way that it'll make sense to you. And if it doesn't make sense, then that's my fault. And I'll come up with a way to help you help it make sense to you. As you'll see, you're going to be able to take with you anything that's important to you from the realities you thought you were living in, but you'll be living in just one reality, and it's the only reality that exists. You know, I think I should tell you about my mother. As we all say, um, and, or, or have said, I'm not sure when you're hearing this show, um, when, it when it's time for us to um, die, we always have deathbed visitors. I think it's a universal situation. Sometime in the days uh, or even hours before we die, we'll see people we love who we think were dead, but they're not dead, and they look young and they look healthy, and it's great. And they are there to, frankly, transition us. Uh, and there are reasons why it's not automatic, and we'll talk about those. But they're there for us. I've never heard of anybody not leaving with them. We also plan two or three exit points that we can take. When we do our life plan, we'll talk about life planning as well. When we do our life plan, 
We plan two or three possible exit points that our higher consciousness can choose to take. And uh, we, our higher consciousness will frankly bug out of here as soon as possible. That's why some people will die in their 40s or in their 50s. Virtually always that was a planned exit point that uh, the, the person chose to take because they've basically done all they could with this lifetime. This is hard duty. We try to get out of here as soon as we can. Even though it's not a conscious decision to die young, it can be a, a great relief to the higher consciousness who basically doesn't see that the, that particular life can be used as he or she wanted it to be used. So there's my mother, very always afraid to die, no matter what I said to her. You know, Jesus said this, and it's so true of all of us. You're never a prophet in your own village. You're never a prophet to your own mother. Um, she was afraid. She didn't really trust me that I was what I was telling her was true. So she became very old. She was 88, and she uh, was very sick. I got the phone call. Get on the plane. She's in terminal end stage heart failure, and she was going to die. So okay, got on the plane. Sat by the bed. She's unconscious. My sister's there too, and gradually she got better. This confounded the doctors, who said it was really almost impossible. As she was coming out of the coma, she said to me, you know, I saw my parents. I said, tell me about it. Of course, that's my, that's my bag. Um, she said her parents had been there and said it was time. And my mother, stubborn Dane that she was, said, mm, I don't think so. And she said she would not go. I didn't know that was possible. I had never, in 50 years of doing that research to that date, I had never heard of it. Two weeks later, she was in rehab. She was basically in a nursing home. And in that nursing home, she was um, uh, getting better gradually. I went to see her one morning, and she said, I'm going to get to stay longer. And I said, how do you know that? And she said, the big, tall man told me. What tall man told you? She said, the night before, a tall, very tall man, glowing, thin, had walked into her room and had said, we've decided that since you want to stay, we're going to let you stay a little longer. Oh, my God. I know what that being was. She had no clue. When very advanced, usually sixth-level beings appear to us for one reason or another, they look tall, thin, glowing, and androgynous. They, you know, are clearly, uh, they're slightly more male or more female, but they don't look, obviously, one or the other. She had just been visited by a six-level being who said, we're going to let you live past your plant exit point. Now, this was not good news to me because I had never heard of it happening. I worried that it was happening so I would get to see what happens if people do that. And this is my mother. I love her. I don't want her to go through something awful just so I'll learn from it. I was very troubled by it. She lived to be 93. And during... Those five years that she lived, her body basically fell apart. She lost uh, her mind um, because her brain basically started to lose contact with it. As we know, your brain doesn't generate your mind. Your mind gets picked up by your body and brain included, and the, those connections were being lost. She could no longer, you know, they talk about activities of daily living in nursing homes. Well, there are like seven of them. She had none. She couldn't even feed herself. It was a terrible, terrible situation, and I felt really guilty about it. Um, but eventually, her body gave out. And so now I know what to tell you. Uh, if you 
if you if people if you see somebody that say let's say you're in bad shape for one reason or another it doesn't even matter how you got there you you see someone that you think is dead but they look young and healthy and they say it's time go with them don't think about what you're leaving behind don't worry about your family everything will be worked out but you don't want to go by inches which is what happened to my mother now as i say she has these she gave me these wonderful signs she's fine she's not in any distress it just was very hard to watch what happens if you don't take an exit point that you've laid out in advance i wish i could take questions because i have a sense you have some please do tune in next week and during the question period anything that's occurred to you during this show i'll be happy to answer those questions then um i enjoy answering questions there's no way you can stump me I mean, if I don't know, I'll say I don't know, but I'll tell you what I think and I I I've been speaking since I wrote my book and I'll tell you about my book in a second. I've been doing a lot of talking all over the country and I quickly learned that um I know a lot more than I realized I knew. If I really don't know the answer, I can probably tell you how to get the answer. So, I'm eager to have you ask questions. As I said in the introductory shows, um after I had figured out all of this so clearly that I couldn't understand why everybody didn't know it and I discovered people didn't know it I realized those who were either dying or were bereaved really needed this information this was very important to them so um I wrote a book called the fun of dying find out what really happens next it's available on amazon.com it's available for kindle it's available at barnes and noble um you can probably order it through there but it's available for certain on um a uh, uh what do they call them a nook it's available for the nook um you can read it on almost any um uh reading um device the fun of dying find out what really happens next it's cliff notes to what happens when we die so that's it for this week i hope you've learned a lot Please visit us on afterlifeforums.com if you want to talk about this just join the discussion. Now please go out and make the most of this coming week enjoy it love it knowing that you are a powerful eternal being and you are infinitely loved. This is Roberta Grimes. Have a great week. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. joyous conversations about your eternal life to learn more tune in every saturday at 10 a.m. pacific 1 p.m. eastern for lively and positive discussions visit www.afterlifeforums.com to contact roberta email her at roberta@seekreality.com wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are